0: Section fifty nine of the Life of Samuel Johnson, volume two by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Having arrived in London late on Friday, the fifteenth of March, I hastened next morning to wait on Dr. Johnson at his house, but found he was removed from Johnson's Court number seven to Bolt Court number eight still keeping to his favourite Fleet Street. Behind the house was a garden which he took delight in watering. A room on the ground-floor was assigned to Mrs. Williams, and the whole of the two-pair of stairs floor was made a repository for his books, one of the rooms thereon being his study. Here in the intervals of his residence at Streatham, He received the visits of his friends, and, to the most intimate of them, sometimes gave not inelegant dinners. Hawkins's Johnson, page 531. He wrote to Mrs. Thrale on August 14th, 1780, This is all I have to tell you, except that I have three bunches of grapes on a vine in my garden. At least, this is all that I will now tell of my garden. Piozzi Letters. This house was burnt down in 1819. Notes and queries in a footnote. To Bolt court number eight, still keeping to his favourite, Fleet Street. My reflection at the time upon this change, as marked in my journal, is as follows. I felt a foolish regret that he had left a court which bore his name. Footnote. HE SAID WHEN IN SCOTLAND THAT HE WAS JOHNSON OF THAT ILK. BOSWELL But it was not foolish to be affected with some tenderness of regard for a place in which I had seen him a great deal. From whence I had often issued a better and a happier man than when I went in, and which had often appeared to my imagination while I trod its pavements in the solemn darkness of the night, To be sacred to wisdom and piety being informed that he was at mr thrale's in the borough i hastened thither and found mrs thrale and him at breakfast i was kindly welcomed in a moment he was in a full glow of conversation and i felt myself elevated as if brought into another state of being Mrs. Thrale and I looked to each other while he talked, and our looks expressed our congenial admiration and affection for him. I shall ever recollect this scene with great pleasure. I exclaimed to her, I am now intellectually Hermippus Redoivus. I am quite restored by him by transfusion of mind. Footnote, C. volume 1, Page 375, Boswell. Boswell refers to the work of Dr. Kohlhausen of Comblenz, Hermippus Redoibus. Dr. Campbell translated it under the title of Hermippus Redoibus, or The Sages' Triumph Over Old Age and the Grave. Kohlhausen maintained that life might be prolonged to 115 years by breathing the breath of healthy young women. He founded his theory on a Roman inscription, Aes et sanitate lucius Colodius hemipus, qui vixit annos centum quindecim, dies quinque, puelarum anheritu. He maintained that one of the most eligible conditions of life was that of a confessor of youthful nuns. Nuns' bibliographer's manual and the gentleman's magazine Isaac Disraeli, Curiosities of Literature, describes Campbell's book as a curious banter on the hermetic philosophy and the universal medicine. The grave irony is so closely kept up that it deceived for a length of time the most learned. Campbell assured a friend that it was a mere jeu d'esprit. Lord E. Fitzmaurice, Life of Shelburne, says that Ingenhaus, a Dutch physician who lived with Shelburne, combated in one of his works the notion held by certain schoolmasters that it was wholesome to inhale the air which has passed through the lungs of their pupils, closing the windows in order purposely to facilitate that operation. I am quite restored by him, by transfusion of mind, There are many, she replied, who admire and respect Mr. Johnson, but you and I love him. He seemed very happy in the near prospect of going to Italy with Mr. and Mrs. Thrale. But, said he, before leaving England, I am to take a jaunt to Oxford, Birmingham, my native city, Lichfield, and my old friend Dr. Taylor's at Ashbourne in Derbyshire. I shall go in a few days, and you, Boswell, shall go with me. I was ready to accompany him, being willing even to leave London to have the pleasure of his conversation. I mentioned with much regret the extravagance of the representative of a great family in Scotland by which there was danger of its being ruined, and as Johnson respected it for its antiquity he joined with me in thinking it would be happy if this person should die. Mrs. Thrale seemed shocked at this, as feudal barbarity, and said, I do not understand this preference of the estate to its owner, of the land to the man who walks upon that land. Johnson, nay, madam. It is not a preference of the land to its owner, it is a preference of a family to an individual. Here is an establishment in a country which is of importance for ages, not only to the chief but to his people, an establishment which extends upwards and downwards. That this shall be destroyed by one idle fellow is a sad thing. He said Entails are good, footnote Postles, Hebrides August twenty fourth, and footnote, because it is good to preserve in a country series of men to whom the people are accustomed to look up as to their leaders but i am for leaving a quantity of land in commerce to excite industry and keep money in the country for if no land were to be bought in the country there would be no encouragement to acquire wealth because a family could not be founded there or if it were acquired it must be carried away to another country where land may be bought and although the land in every country would remain the same, and to be as fertile where there is no money as where there is, yet all that portion of the happiness of civil life which is produced by money circulating in a country would be lost. Boswell. Then, Sir, would it be for the advantage of a country that all its lands were sold at once? Johnson. So far, sir, as money produces good, it would be an advantage, For then that country would have as much money circulating in it as it is worth. But to be sure, this would be counterbalanced by disadvantages attending a total change of proprietors. I expressed my opinion that the power of entailing should be limited thus. There should be one-third or perhaps one-half of the land of a country kept free for commerce that the proportion allowed to be entailed shall be parceled out so that no family could entail above a certain quantity. Let a family according to the abilities of its representatives be richer or poorer in different generations, or always rich if its representatives be always wise, but let its absolute permanency be moderate in this way we should be certain of there being always a number of established roots and as in the course of nature there is in every age an extinction of some families there would be continual openings for men ambitious of perpetuity to plant a stock in the entail ground note. the privilege of perpetuating in a family an estate and arms indefeasibly from generation to generation Is enjoyed by none of his majesty's subjects except in scotland where the legal fiction of fine and recovery is unknown it is a privilege so proud that i should think it will be proper to have the exercise of it dependent on the royal prerogative it seems absurd to permit the power of perpetuating the representation to men who having had no eminent merit have truly no name the king as the impartial father of his people would never refuse to grant the privilege to those who deserved it also, end of footnote. johnson why well, sir mankind will be better able to regulate the system of entails when the evil of too much land being locked up by them is felt than we can do at present when it is not felt i mentioned dr adam smith's book on the Wealth of Nations. Footnote. Boswell wrote to Temple about six weeks later. Murphy says he has read thirty pages of Smith's wealth. but says he shall read no more. Smith, too, is now of our club. It has lost its select merit. Letters Boswell. Johnson can scarcely have read Smith, if he did, it made no impression on him. His ignorance on many points as to what constitutes the wealth of a nation remained as deep as ever. End of footnote. The wealth of nations, which was just published, and that Sir John Pringle had observed to me that Dr. Smith, who had never been in trade, could not be expected to write well on that subject any more than a lawyer upon physic. Johnson. He is mistaken, sir. A man who has never been engaged in trade himself may undoubtedly write well upon trade. And there is nothing which requires more to be illustrated by philosophy than trade does. As to mere wealth, that is to say money, it is clear that one nation or one individual cannot increase its store but by making another poorer, but trade procures what is more valuable. The reciprocation of the peculiar advantages of different countries. A merchant seldom thinks but of his own particular trade. To write a good book upon it, a man must have extensive views. It is not necessary to have practised to write well upon a subject. I mentioned law as a subject on which no man could write well without practice. Johnson. Why, sir, in England, where so much money is to be got by the practice of the law, most of our writers upon it have been in practice. Though Blackstone had not been much in practice when he published his commentaries, but upon the continent the great writers on law have not all been in practice. Grotius indeed was, but Puffendorf was not, Burle-Marquis was not, when we had talked of the great consequence which a man acquired by being employed in his profession i suggested a doubt of the justice of the general opinion that it is improper in a lawyer to solicit employment why i urged should it not be equally allowable to solicit that as the means of consequence as it is to solicit votes to be elected a member of parliament Mr. Strawn had told me that a countryman of his and mine, footnote, Mr. Wedderburn, Croker, and Footnote, who had risen to eminence in the law, had, when first making his way, solicited him to get him employed in city courses. Johnson, Sir, it is wrong to stir up lawsuits, but when once it is certain that a lawsuit is to go on, "'There is nothing wrong in a lawyer's endeavouring "'that he shall have the benefit rather than another.' "'Bussell. "'You would not solicit employment, sir, if you were a lawyer.' "'Johnson. "'No, sir, but not because I should think it wrong, "'but because I should disdain it.' "'This was a good distinction which will be felt by men of just pride.' "'He proceeded.' however i would not have a lawyer to be wanting to himself in using fair means i would have him to inject a little hint now and then to prevent his being overlooked lord mount Stewart's bill for a scotch militia it, a similar bill had been thrown out sixteen years earlier by one hundred ninety four to eighty four A bill for a militia in Scotland was not successful, nor could the disaffected there obtain this mode of having their arms restored. Pitt had acquiesced, but the young Whigs attacked it with all their force. Walpole's reign of George II. Lord Mount Stewart's bill was thrown out by 112 to 95, the Ministry being in the minority. The arguments for and against it are stated in the annual register. Henry Mackenzie, Life of John Hume, says The poker club was instituted at a time when Scotland was refused a militia and thought herself affronted by the refusal. The name was chosen from a quaint sort of allusion to the principles it was meant to excite as a club to stir up the fire and spirit of the country. End of Lord bill for a Scotch militia, in supporting which his lordship had made an able speech in the House of Commons, was now a pretty general topic of conversation. Johnson. As Scotland contributes so little land tax, footnote, Scotland paid only one-fortieth to the land tax, a very specific tax out of which all the expenses of a militia were to be drawn. Annual register, and a footnote towards the general support of the nation it ought not to have a militia paid out of the general fund unless it should be thought for the general interest that scotland should be protected from an invasion which no man can think will happen for what enemy would invade scotland when there is nothing to be got no sir now that the scotch have not the pay of english soldiers spent among them as so many troops have been sent abroad They are trying to get money another way, by having a militia paid. If they are afraid, and seriously desire to have an armed force to defend them, they should pay for it. Your scheme is to retain a part of your land tax by making us pay and clothe your militia. Boswell. you should not talk of we and you, sir. There is now an union. Johnson. There must be a distinction of interest, while the proportions of land-tax are so unequal, if Yorkshire should say, instead of paying our land-tax, we will keep a greater number of militia. It would be unreasonable. In this argument my friend was certainly in the wrong. The land-tax is as unequally proportioned between different parts of England as between England and Scotland is considerably unequal in Scotland itself but the land tax is but a small part of the numerous branches of public revenue all of which Scotland pays precisely as England does a French invasion made in Scotland would soon penetrate into England he thus discoursed upon Suppose obligation in settling estates. Where a man gets the unlimited property of an estate, there is no obligation upon him in justice to leave it to one person rather than to another. There is a motive of preference from kindness, and this kindness is generally entertained for the nearest relation. If I owe a particular man a sum of money, I am obliged to let that man have the next money I get, and cannot in justice let another have it. But if I owe money to no man, I may dispose of what I get as I please. There is not a debitum justidica to a man's next heir. There is only a debitum caritatis. It is plain, then that I have morally a choice according to my liking. If I have a brother in want, he has a claim from affection to my assistance. But if I have also a brother in want whom I like better, he has a preferable claim. The right of an heir at law is only this, that he is to have the succession to an estate in case no other person is appointed to it by the owner. His right is merely preferable to that of the king end of section 59